0: Welcome back to Flex Your Head, another special episode of Scream Therapy. On Flex Your Head, we take a breather from punk rock and mental health and explore classic punk albums, which I guess is good for mental health. On today's episode, we're joined by Drew Swalwell, who was here before for the Unwound episode. We also are joined by his beard, which is impeccable, as always. (laughs) How's Ah, it going, Drew?
1: (laughs) It's going great. That's a fantastic compliment.
0: So what album are we talking about today, Drew?
1: We are talking about Drive Like Jehu's last album, Yank Crime.
0: So, Drive Like Jehu from San Diego formed in 1990, painfully broke up five years later in 1995. Rick Froberg on rhythm guitar and vocals, John Reese, the legendary John Reese <laughs> on lead guitar. Those guys are both ex-members of a band called Pitchfork. And then we had bassist Mike Kennedy, drummer Mark Trembino, and those guys were both in a band called Night Soil Man. Mm-hmm. Yank Crime released in 1994 on Interscope, a major label which is bizarre. And we'll talk a bit about that later on. Mm -hmm. And the band broke up shortly after that. So what do you think? What's your opening thoughts on this one?
1: This one is really interesting that you asked me to do right after the Unwound one. The Future of What came out the year after this album have a lot of similarities sonically and uh, emotionally. I think this album has a lot of pre-millennial anxiety in it. There's a few mentions of computers if you think back to 95, that's the beginning of us all getting our computers and computers becoming a bigger part of our world. So there's a underlying current all the way through of the anxiety of what Millennial is going to look like. Fantastic album, start to finish, even the extended versions. All the songs were great.
0: Yeah, the reissue 2003 has three bonus tracks on it. So I had the Bullet Train to Vegas, Seven Inch. Mm -hmm. Uh, with Hand Over Fist, and I wasn't ever clear on what was A-side, what was B-side. I think it's actually Hand Over Fist with Bullet Train to Vegas on the B-side. And then an original version of Sinews, which is on the album. This is a more demo, stripped-down version of Sinews.
1: That version was also released on an earlier 7-inch or a compilation, if I remember correctly.
0: One of the very strange things, and I'll throw this out there. So I'm not sure if you found this, but the album was actually on vinyl. It was an album and a Mm 7-inch. And the track listing was in a different order. Yeah, Kind of bizarre. I never really realized that. Of course, I bought the CD because CDs were all the rage in 95, even though they cost $30 each. <laughs> we had the side A was Rome Plow's Do You Compute and Luau. Side B was Super Unison, Golden Brown and Sinews. And then side C was Human Interest, New Intro. Side D, New Math. So it's kind of mixed up in the order there.
1: I guess that's the limitations of what you can have on each side because the songs are long.
0: Oh, they're long as hell. 55 minutes long. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. <laughs> For the album
0: proper. I did a little quick calculation, and the songs average at six minutes each. So Here Come the Rome Plows, first song on the album, busts out at almost six minutes. So what a way to start <laughs> yeah, an album. Yeah, I yeah, know. Yeah, I looked up the name, and this is a Bible passage. I don't know Bibles, I'm, I'm an atheist, but it's in Kings 920.
1: I actually have it written down as well. Well, give it to us. And the watchman told, he came unto them, and cometh not again, and the driving of jehu the son of nimshi
0: for he driveth furiously oh, yeah <laughs> classic perfect for the band right mm-hmm. you have these theories but well, where did the band name come from well this is very <laughs> clear i read an interview with john reese who's a guitar player and is in a bunch of other amazing bands which i think we'll touch on as well from a zine called chunklet and it was in 1999 and he said the second jehu record took a long time to write It took a lot of the fun out of it for everyone because it was completely doused in tedium just trying to get the songs together. The first record wasn't like that at all. So it sounds like these guys weren't particularly (laughs) having a lot of fun actually recording this thing.
1: John Reese did an interview with Damien from Fucked Up on his Turned Out a Punk podcast. And he talks a lot about that, about the fact that they were going on to Interscope. Just there was so much pressure on that. None of them were really getting along terribly well. Mike Kennedy... Stopped playing music after this. He became a chemist. Yeah. This was it for him.
0: John Race has another band called Rocket from the Crypt. The myth was that Interscope signed Rocket from the Crypt, and then Drive Like Jehu was kind of thrown in on this deal, and it's actually the reverse, so the label was oh. really interested in Drive Like Jehu, and then John Reese got Rocket from the Crypt thrown into the deal, so that's kind of oh. funny, like because I always thought Drive Like Jehu was this black sheep weirdo band that was thrown in on this deal, and the major label's like, what the hell have we gotten ourselves into? <laughs> but Yeah, actually, the other way around.
1: That's totally what I thought, too, because I was like, man, what a punk rock coup to like, you know, sneak this album with like six minute starting songs into a major label
0: definitely one of the most uncompromising major label albums of all time I and mean, you could put yeah. the boredoms in there and some other weirdo bands over the years but as far as just coming out the gates i mean rick froberg basically just screams through the whole through the whole album there's a yeah, few it's... lines where he's a bit more quiet but it almost sounds like he just keeps getting frustrated and then just screaming and like, can't keep up to the, you know he just wants <laughs> to go ahead of the music like i can't wait for this Leah.
1: And that's something that I totally noticed all the way through is, and I think this is why it's a little bit like, once again, future what there's a sense of a scramble all the way through the album where nobody's really playing. It's in time, but it's not in time. Almost like there's four people trying to like chase after the ending of the song and Rick's vocals. They say that in fact, we'll, and we'll get to some of the songs, but at one point he just yells, uh, that's it, I'm done, (laughs) at at the end of the song.
0: Classic. (laughs) Yeah, let's get into some of the songs. Any particular favorites that I know the whole album is so good, but does anything really stand out for you? God,
1: the breakdown of "Luo." there's an anxiety there. I think they do a really good job of pausing the song and then they'll come in with a really heavy part. There's like such an anxiety of expectation of something that's going to happen and it'll be just like a feedback on a guitar line and then it'll explode into a heavy part. And then back into the the quiet part. They do the loud quiet thing fairly well.
0: I've got a quote on that. That's really good. So Reese told treble zine. I equate building tension with repetition, but also certain dissonance, certain notes that rub against each other in different ways and having a musical resolve with drive like Jehu, we had the real estate and the time to build up to a thing. And then we did this thing and you're like, Oh, there it is.
1: It's fantastic. I love bands that have that scramble frantic. Yeah, it's super frantic. It's, There's an energy in there that you can picture it being played
0: live. There's a moment in Sinews, it's near the end. I think it's about six and a half minutes in, where it just launches into this staccato bridge part. It's just so good. It's like you're not expecting it. And then there it is. these really long songs there is the element of surprise there's sort of levels of surprise you know a surprise will come in certain riff and you're stoked and all of a sudden it'll just chop into an even faster riff and they're experts at doing that yeah change ups
1: yeah absolutely looping back around to the pre-millennial anxiety idea like the song do you compute you know it's slow it's kind of almost a waltz to it Mm -hmm. yet rick's vocals are grinding and like it's almost like he's yelling at you, like, do you understand what's about to happen? I've met Rick once. I didn't punish him on, on this album. It was, <laughs> But, you know, I wish I had because I would have loved to, like, got in his head about what he was thinking about during this this album.
0: Yeah, for sure. Another thing, too, about it is the guitar work on this album is just so good. And mm. there's so many sounds created by the guitars that don't sound like guitars. And, yeah. you know, I hate to make the... Comparison to Tom Morello, because that guy's a dick. But, you know, that whole idea of making these sounds on the guitar that aren't what you would expect. And -hmm. there's some Nintendo sounds on here. There's some birds. There's some feedback chaos. There's all these things that you don't really know what's going on. You could never really picture, well, how are they doing that? Songs like New Intro, which is a melodic instrumental at the beginning, and then all of a sudden it just freaks out at the end. Yeah, It's an album that's really... You'll never get tired of listening to it because there's so much... Texture to it. There's so many different elements, and you'll hear a new thing every time. And um, that's what I really like about it.
1: Yeah, oh, definitely. New intro, the groove to start that. It's almost like a lullaby it kind of shakes you or rocks you into submission, especially after the scramble of super unison. We get into new intro, and it's kind of this like, we're going to lull you to sleep and then beat you at the end of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Once again, just really good at crafting the song. It, it does surprise me that they weren't enjoying themselves just listening to this because there is so much passion in yeah. e- each of the songs
0: well by that time to i saw them live and they're definitely enjoying themselves but like yeah. you said maybe the time you actually have to record and i think yeah. there was very much pressure from the label part of the deal was they would do whatever the hell i wanted especially on the Jehu who side right hand over fist which is one of the bonus songs on the reissue was on the seven inch and the beginning of the vocals there where it sounds like faded back distorted sound yeah and you can hear them messing around with some pieces of something yeah and that's an effect that they used a lot in rock from the crypt to john reese's other band he would sing in behind through in some sort of a noise maker and then it would kick in with the louder vocals
1: i'm almost curious if they weren't using telephones as their yeah. as their microphones because i know that became a big thing right about that time as people were rewiring telephones to create like a more distorted
0: quieter in the back of the mix
1: yeah create a distance to the vocal so
0: you just helped me because that might solve the riddle that i've been trying to solve for <laughs> 25 years whatever it's been i saw hot snakes play a few years ago and they actually did golden brown and bullet train to vegas hot snakes is the band that rick and john went on to yeah they played both those songs it was done in more of a hot Snakes style which is really cool sort of more of a stripped down garagey punk style Imagine how excited I was when that happened. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I saw them as well about three years ago, four years ago now. They did uh, Golden Brown as well. This was in Vancouver. This is actually just before you and I went on tour okay. with DOA. I think it was the week before.
0: Lyrics. So part of my problem is I can never really understand <laughs> what he's screaming through like 75% <laughs> of this album. I did yeah. go on and check some of the lyrics online, and it didn't really help very much very (laughs) kind of obscure
1: yeah lyrics come second i think with him they more construct the song and then he just sort of writes something over top yeah i don't think it's it's a lot of thought on there
0: maybe the intonations of the words go with the intonations of the song
1: yeah and i think that's the big part of it there is a underlying current about this oncoming change Mm -hmm. be that they knew that the band was about to end or it's 95 and we're all kind of freaking out, but this album definitely does have that anxiety to it.
0: And some funny parts too. I never yeah. understood what Luau was about it. <laughs> there's a part where Rob Crow from Pinback and at that time he was in Heavy Vegetable where he does some background vocals on Luau. And yeah. it, what is it like suit up or something? Yeah. Aloha suit up and yeah. I don't know surfing. Cause I know there's some hot snakes, songs about surf- surfing. Yeah. You could take them a million ways, but I never understood what was going on.
1: He sins from the top of his throat a lot of the time. And every band that he does, he's sinning from the top of the throat. So this is the same thing that Blake from Jawbreaker did early on. And he ended up with polyps on on his yeah. vocal cords because he's not sinning from his gut. He's trying to force the lyrics out. You know, Rick just seems to have that sort of voice that can sin from the top of his throat, where it's breaking up and it's just a super angry voice it's the voice that you use when you're yelling at somebody yeah it's amazing that he's able to play for an hour a night on tour sort of thing and doesn't seem to lose his voice at all
0: no and it sounds pretty much the same as it does on this album absolutely funny thing i saw them on tour for their first album back in 92 of course back in 92 you don't have access to anything you don't know what the bands look like. Yeah. There's no way to find out because we're in the golden era of no internet. <laughs> but <laughs> well, at the same days. time, there, <laughs> there's some uh, limitations. Yeah. And so they come on stage and they're playing. And they do this whole kind of Nintendo intro weirdo thing with John Reese's amps. Yeah. And I'm thinking, so where's the woman that sings in this band? <laughs> <laughs> it's <laughs> like super ignorant right like yeah. but it's just that high register and i just assumed it was a woman singer and i was so confused and then we started <laughs> singing i was like oh this is rad this is so good yeah very distinct original voice
1: just sticking on on rick for a second i didn't realize that he didn't play guitar in pitchfork this was his first band playing guitar in Oh, he just sang in pitchfork? He just sang in pitchfork. Okay. And then, and this one, he, he decided to switch over to rhythm guitar to allow John to like
0: get more experimental. And I feel like this is one of the most confusing episodes because there's just so many bands and some, <laughs> yeah, are in, some of the I bands know. are in together, some of the yeah. bands are not in together.
1: They're like that couple that just can't keep away from each other. Like they seem to have to have these breaks and pauses, but they always gravitate towards each other again. Do
0: you remember when the first time you heard this album?
1: This album was actually the second album I bought after Future or What. Local Victoria record store plug, but Ditch Records uh, was my go-to. And I went down and talked to Jeremy and I was like, you know, I bought Future or What and I loved it. What else do you have? And he handed me Yank Crime and I was like, okay, we'll buy that. <laughs> the imagery is really the same on the cover. Like it's just black and white minimalists. Like you don't really know what's going on with it. That was the first time I heard it, put in the CD player on the way home. And I was just like, oh my God. The Love Affair started there.
0: I did college radio, and I remember just getting things from hearing them at the station Mm -hmm. and also getting promos because I was working at Cargo Records at the time. Oh, okay. I came across the first one and was stoked on it, just loved it so much. So when the major label one came out, I wasn't as keen to it. And I was also like, fuck major labels, that one thing. (laughs) But I did, of course, get into it. And Mm -hmm. both albums have their own uh, attachments. This one is in time better. Yeah. But at the time, I didn't really pay much attention or as much attention as I should have. This album is one of my all time favorite albums of this genre, for sure.
1: Oh, definitely. Mid 90s batch of albums that came out. Yeah, this one's definitely, definitely right up there. It does suffer from the 90s production just a little bit. Those really tight snare hits, the guitars, the drums tend to be not very bassy. They tend to be a little bit tinny. Mm -hmm. But still, I can go back to this album time and time again.
0: And the drummer Mark Trombino is a producer as well. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of interesting. He would have had his hands in there. Yes, I think he
1: did uh, mixing he also worked with Blink One Eighty Two and Jimmy
0: World. <laughs> hey, I can stand behind Jimmy Eat World, but I can't, I can't even <laughs> say the words that you just said about the other band. <laughs> you saw them play live, or you didn't? Drive Like Jehu? No,
1: I never saw Drive Like. I found out after the fact that they played in Victoria with Unwound, and I was totally upset that I uh, <laughs> that I missed out on it. What
0: year would that have been?
1: This would have been right around this time, so ninety-four, okay. ninety-five.
0: I'm not sure how I missed that particular tour because i did see them in 92 at the cruel elephant in vancouver for the first album so i don't know what i was doing in Mm. in, on the second time they came through i went home to pal river quite a bit in the summer and missed some really amazing shows which crushes me to this day (laughs) but i did see the reunion show in seattle that was amazing Play the bulk if not all of this album and so fucking loud you know the first time i saw them also fucking loud we were standing on the side that john reese was on and we actually had to move because his guitar was just so <laughs> obnoxiously loud
1: <laughs> yeah we'd spent a lot of time talking about rick but john's guitar playing is at this point you start to realize how dynamic of a guitar player he is and just the smoothness of him being able to switch from rhythm into a noise section back into like a lead and i guess how this band worked is he would bring in the majority of the song ideas and then everybody else would work around his song ideas it's a testament to his songwriting abilities and his guitar playing getting to see hot snakes and you probably saw this when you saw them the sheer joy he has uh in performing like he's got the biggest smile on his face when he was makes eye contact with people and just the love of his instrument and his craft it's really inspiring
0: one of the best guitar players in punk i would say oh hands down yeah it's funny when we saw him in seattle he was spitting on his guitar (laughs) he would spit into the pickups okay (laughs) Not exactly sure why maybe it's something to do with Being able to strum fast, his hands, who knows? But yeah, Yeah. it's pretty cool to see someone spit into their guitar. And also knee sweat. So the guy sweats so much. (laughs) His knees are actually sweating through his clothes. Yeah. (laughs) Classic. About them breaking up. So he actually said in Treble's Zine that they actually never broke up. Uh, They went so long without practicing or seeing each other or doing anything that there was almost a level of embarrassment to getting back together. (laughs) You know, it wasn't like that, this big, like we were done we break up. It was more just letting it fade away. And it's really yeah. cool that they did come back to it so many years later.
1: Yeah. I kind of respect that. There's something nice about just not putting an end date on it because the minute that you say, yeah, we're we're done. We're never coming back. If you ever do come back, it feels like you weren't looking at the future. The fact that they just never said anything. They're like, yeah, we've moved on, but it's still there somewhere.
0: Not ruling it out.
1: Yeah. And it also just gives me the hope that I get to see them at one point.
0: I like to call it the Fugazi. We're going <laughs> yeah. on hiatus.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. 20 years
0: later, we're still on hiatus.
1: And they still jam.
0: Yeah. So you want to do some YouTube comments? Uh, yeah, let's do some YouTube comments. It's always fun slash infuriating. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, these are more fun yeah. or congratulatory, let's say. So Andy Trestlin 11 months ago, when shit gets heavy, this album digs deep. Suit up, and then it's a nice. It's a devil horn, and then a hammer, <laughs> and I hate those. Whatever those things are called, uh, emojis, emojis. Yeah, but yeah, that one works. chow Wu Tang. <laughs> okay, four years ago, my favorite at the Drive-In album. Uh, 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. When At the Drive-In came out, they're considered a Drive Like Jehu rip-off bant in some ways but they progressed into something entirely different.
1: I mean, the amount of legacy that this band created, Mm -hmm. you have everybody from, you know, members of Botch saying that this is their favorite album. Uh, I see Deftones talk about it. They've actually covered Caress. And Isaac Brock saying that it's his favorite album it's informs and inspires the bands that are coming out right now. I'm wearing a Mets t-shirt. So Mets, that sort of noise core sound that's out there right now is I think you can probably direct back to 95's Yank Crime. Yeah, The DNA is totally all over the music scene right now of this album.
0: One more comment here. Dakota Shelburne, four years ago, imagine being this good. (laughs) <laughs> that's all it says <laughs> but you know there you go that's what you just touched on a band that is this good is not going to be lost to history
1: no it shocks me when i come across somebody who hasn't heard this album especially in newer music scene the band that i play in Bon our drummers never heard drive like Jehu, so i just like i stopped practice when i when i heard this i was like no 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 we're gonna listen to this and then i'm gonna send you home and you have homework until <laughs> our next practice you need to Give me notes on what you thought of this album. They're massive. I, what I found when I was listening to this is that what I'm trying to do in Bonne for vocals is I'm trying to be Rick. I'm doing the same singing from the top of my throat. The angry yells and stuff like that are all just me trying to emulate Rick. I think this album just continues to inspire other bands.
0: And the album has a soothing quality to it as well, which sounds weird. I'm soothed by intense, loud Mm -hmm. music. That's just how I am. I'll go to bed and put on Napalm Death to fall asleep. (laughs) But there's a comfort in this album. It's scary, yeah, if you don't really give it a chance and you hear this guy screaming and the guitars are very chaotic. But really, it's an album that I put on to relax and to just take in music that's very complicated but also very simple yeah it sounds like it's a masterpiece of classical music really intricate and it is but it's also got this lull to it and relaxation to it and mm-hmm. it's got that pattern of rolling waves which gets back to the surfer reference
1: <laughs> absolutely and and being from san diego i'm not 100 percent sure if they're all surfers surfing comes in to a lot of their lyrics I would be shocked to hear if that they weren't surfers.
0: Things are going well with Nui.
1: Things are going great with Bonny. Uh We just finished releasing our debut EP on uh, Off-White House Records. Uh, you can find it on Bandcamp. at uh, Bonnui, spelled B-O-N-N-U-I-T dot Bandcamp.com. We're really excited. We're playing lots of shows. It's been really good. We're just enjoying creating that meditative, loud music. <laughs> that we've been talking about for the last little while here.
0: So you're welcome to emulate Rick Froberg's vocals in your head and trying to get that same sound, but do not try to emulate John Reese. (laughs) You will (laughs) fail. You will fail every time.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) The funny thing is you say that, but Bonoey likes to have noise breakdowns in the middle of songs or at the end of songs, especially at the end of the set. And I definitely, as I'm going through it, I will often think about the images I saw of John playing guitar and it just sort of that in- inspiration of like, yeah, I'm going to make this noise now. And I'm going to like, I would say that out of all music, guitar heroes, John's the one that influences bon Iver the most on my side. And just the joy too, that he, that he has. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So Scream Therapy is the main podcast. You can check that out at ScreamTherapyHQ.com, HQ as in headquarters. We're going to get there with that, ScreamTherapyHQ.com. And there's episodes of Punk Rock and Mental Health. There's 42 episodes now, 43 maybe. And then also a handful of these episodes, Flex Your Head, which are about classic punk albums. So check those out. And I just want to say it's great to have you back again, Drew, and I'm sure we'll have you on another one at some point in the future.
1: I've got a list of records you and I can talk about no problem.
0: I bet you do. (laughs) Thanks again, Drew. Take care.
1: All right. See you later, Jason.